Now, where are you right now? So uh, we are in Atlanta. We're in Lawrenceville, Georgia right now. And you're already selling? Not yet. Our software is down right now. We're like rebooting the entire software. So I actually got ready to sell the other day and I was like, oh, you know, it was like kind of hard to get back into it. And then they're like, oh, by the way, the software is down. We got to redo it. Yeah. Okay. So it should be back up by Monday or Tuesday. It's a, I found um, when I was selling that, like, it was really hard to go in and out of it. You know, like if I was in it, I could just get my mind to wrap around the fact like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Almost like sell your soul to the fact that you're going to go out and sell. Oh yeah. Um, and then like I could do it and then I could do it and no problem. I'm like, okay. I'm just like, I'm a sales drone. This is what I'm doing. And you just like kind of give into it and then it to come back out. And then like, I went on a vacation my first year. And uh, when I came back, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll do it. I, I think that's been the biggest selling it. And you know this, but selling's not that hard. I mean, it's it's just a numbers game. But what I found over this last because I sold October, November and December, I learned how to do the on and off switch, which was cool. Right. Like um, during the summer, it's super easy because you just you just start selling. But over the course of October, November, and December, I went on a vacation in October and I would sell three to four days a week. I'd hit my goal and I'd be done. And that's not how the summer mentality is. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to do what I did. It, I, comparing the, the first part of the summer, the, the summer that I did, and then the three months that I did later, it was a lot harder to do the on and off switch, but it's a good skill to have. I think that's how life is. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, it's it. You do kind of have like a like a, a weird set of circumstances when you're selling because it's like all you're thinking about, you know. Oh yeah. Um, and so it sometimes you're right. It, like it's not quite as applicable to your actual life as when you stop and start because if if you're going to be doing something all the time, you can't just like shut out your whole life for four months and go for it. You know, you need to find a way to actually have it be part of your life. Yeah. That's been, that's been the last three months we were just, because it was a good way to make money and it was just a good way to get ahead and to also like sharpen my saw for sales. Cause I didn't get a full summer like the other guys did. And so I, I just, I, I, I jumped in late because I was really scared of doing sales again and just avoided the fact that there was a, that Anthem was here in Atlanta. I was super self-conscious about my sales abilities and never did it, but I, I didn't join until August 10th. So I didn't do a full summer like the other guys did. Uh, so it was a unique experience to get that month and a half of just a full, you know, full sprint, but I still had a lot in the tank. So just keep going. So that's kind of what I did. <laughs> so, so what are you doing now? Are you, cause I mean, it's January. Are you selling year round? We're I'm going to hop back into sales. Yeah. Um, the system will get rebooted on should be Monday or Tuesday and I'm going to go out and sell. And at this point, like Kaya and I, like if I didn't work at all, we'd be fine. Like we, we'd be absolutely fine. But for me, it's more of like, okay, I want to get ahead. I want to work on my skills. I want to learn how to sell pest control when there's literally no bugs. And so that's something that I've 
been uh, doing. And the summer was tough. I'm not gonna lie, it was tough. We, it was just, uh, but it, it it's all a mindset in my opinion. And I think coming back uh, to here and feeling just how bitter cold it is, it's like okay, I I mean. I have a part-time job working at a cheerleading gym and that's like my fulfillment. And then this is just me working on my trade. So I'll go out and it's, I'm not selling full time. I go out, I hit a goal of 10 a week and then I'm done. So if I hit that in two days, if I hit it in three days, if it takes me four days, then whatever, but that's my goal. So yeah, good little preseason work and get some, get some accounts under my belt before the summer starts. I'm at 87 account service and it's not even summer yet. So it's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's awesome. You're going to have a nice uh, jump start on everyone when, when everyone comes out for the summer. That's the plan. That's the plan. And it, it sets us up in a good position to be able to get, I can get my goal for the total year is 500 sales. So We'll be a, I'll throw down a big number this year and it'll set Kai and I up to buy a house. That's our big goal is, yeah, is to, yeah, we want to buy a home out here in Georgia. So cool. So what's in Georgia? Uh, I should have worn the shirt. I was debating about it, but Kaya has a weightlifting team out here okay. and we, I'll give you a little bit of the back, the backstory behind it. So we met at BYU and uh, she was training for weight. She wants her, her ultimate goal is Olympic weight, you know, to weight lift in the Olympics. Uh, she's in the 59 kilogram kilo uh, weight class. And the whole time at BYU, she was training there uh, remotely with a team called power and grace. And pretty soon there, there, there gets there, you get to a point where when you're out lifting the, the male football players, you've got to kind of, you got to move out to where the Olympians are at and, all of that stuff. So Kaya communicated with her coach and they decided that it, for her to continue improving, it would be best if she moved out here. Well, we were dating at the time. So she waited about a year while I finished up BYU until we, so we could move out here and she could start training for the Olympics. And that's her ultimate goal. And uh, I'm here to support her, but we, that's why we just moved out here. We moved out here on, we got, we packed up our moving truck on June 10th, literally everything we had, uh, we had no jobs out here. We had little connections, just her coach and a couple teammates. And we drove out here with to an apartment that we had never seen. And so that that's our kind of our, we call it our move of faith because mm -hmm. we had literally nothing set up and we just moved out here and we prayed that everything worked out and it did. So we're happy to be out here. That, that's why we're out here in Georgia is for Kaya's weightlifting. That is awesome. I love that. We, we did something similar, not weightlifting, but um, when we got married, we got married in February and then I, we, I did my last summer um, in Chicago. And so we got married in Arizona and then it was like, pack everything up. We're going off to Chicago to a, an apartment we've never seen. Um, and I loved it. Like, it's so fun and exciting. You know, you're like, uh, did you say you, you, did you guys move out when you were still dating or were you married at the time? We we're, were married. So um, Kaya and I met uh, January of my junior year. Mm -hmm. We got married in December of my senior year. And then we ended up moving after I graduated that that next. Um, it was ju uh, June. So yeah, we, we were living with 
her grandparents for about six months after he got married and then just took a move of faith. It was awesome. I think that's fun. I, I love yeah. like, it's just you and her against the world. You don't know anyone, you know, like now we do. It's crazy. Like we, we moved out here. We didn't know anybody but a coach and a couple teammates. And now I have a cheer. I, I coach cheerleading on a side and the, the girls that I coach are, you know, connected to Kaya's weightlifting coach. And I know most of that school and uh, I have friends that work at F in, in an FCA program and the people I work with at cheerleading and then the people that work at Anthem pest control, like we've really, and then in our, our, our church ward is just awesome. We just made so many friends. And so now it, it is home. So we love it. You'll here. stay there. Do you think that's the kind of, do you know, kind of long-term trajectory? Uh, we will definitely buy a home out here. And we will definitely stay out here for four or five years. After that, we don't know what we want to do exactly. Uh, but we, we do know that whatever we do, if, if we stay here, then great, we'll keep the home. Uh, and if we leave, we'll just turn it into a rental and just have a home down here and uh, have somebody else pay off our mortgage. So that'd be great. I, I love that. I don't know why more people don't do that. That's our plan too. So we uh airbnb out our basement we live upstairs um but my thought is like why would you i mean i like the idea of accumulating properties i, I don't like why would you sell oh, yeah. a house you should just keep it rent it out and well you have to save enough money to get another house um but i like that like every time you move if you're gonna move just rent it out just buy another yeah one. keep it because you're because then you're accumulating assets along the way and uh, I just think that's a lot smarter. I mean, it, it, you look at how much it costs. Like if you, if you profit from a home and you, you if your home rises in value, you're going to lose a lot of it in closing costs. We've already, and it's been cool because I'm not an expert in all this stuff, but uh, we have some friends that have been telling us a lot about it. It's like, well, I'd rather just keep the house and just rent it out. Just like you said, makes sense. And then you always could go back to it later down the road if you don't want to have renters and once it's paid off. Yeah. so that's our game plan with georgia we'll definitely keep a house we're going to buy a house out here and in, in, we want to buy one in like october or december and then we want to continue living out here and um i'll do another summer with anthem that's the game plan right now and then we will just move on we'll go from there i think it's uh everything works out Every, everything has always worked out that's if we can move cross country and have nothing and then everything works out i, I think we're going to be just fine whatever we do moving forward i think yeah everything's always worked out for me i think it's attitude but i i definitely just we always make it work so yeah i think uh people that say that are the people that usually things work out for. I don't, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. The people that are like, oh man, I have the worst luck. I always get screwed. Somehow those people, I don't know if it's magic, but like they end up getting screwed. I say yeah. that too. I'm like, you could look at my life and make the argument for either way. And you could probably do that with your life too. And you could probably like a pessimistic person could look at your very life and be like, oh man, like, Austin just gets the, the bad end of things. And an optimistic person could say that, oh man, Austin, things just really work out for him. 
And whichever one you decide to be, it seems like eventually your life just actually starts being that way, you know? Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, look, I mean, Kai and I are out in Georgia right now. I have, uh, she's amazing. And I just look, I'm like, wow, that worked out too. I mean, I, everything with Kaya worked out, like she's the biggest blessing in my life. And so, um, it, but the, I think you're right with how things go. I think that goes back to the, you know, if you have an optimistic person, if you have an optim, if you choose to be optimistic, because I, I don't want to say optimistic personality, because that would just make people think that either they are or they aren't. It, it is honestly a choice. Um, and so I guess with my life, you could look at it and be like, oh man, parents divorce, father passed away, uh, family issues, all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, you could look at it that way. Or you could say, oh man, like his parents got divorced, but then he has amazing family because my dad got married to my stepmom and herself and all of her family has been amazing to me. And, you know, or, and, and I could look at it as, well, my mom has an incredible boyfriend who, you know, has amazing family and I've developed incredible relationships with them. And I, I don't know. I just choose to look at it that way because I'm happier when I do instead of looking at it as well. My life's been hard, but I posted the other day, Christ uh, said in this world, you have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I think that's a big, I, he literally says, be of good cheer. It's like a commandment choose to be cheerful. And I love that because I was a cheerleader, but <laughs> yeah, I, I do think you're right. If we say that things work out, if we try to, if we choose to be optimistic, then they always do. Yeah. It's, it is really interesting to me. Um, it's kind of like, I've noticed this with, with little kids too. You look at like, um, parents who have good kids you know like well-behaved kids and you go and you talk to them and they usually say the exact same thing they usually say like oh we're just lucky we were given good kids you know and maybe that's true um and the reverse is also true like when you have really crappy kids you know like your kids are super rambunctious the parents usually say the same thing and they're like oh we just got unlucky with this one like this kid's just rambunctious and i don't know like what the right answer is there's probably science but it does seem to me that like what you say things are usually becomes how they actually are. So maybe you telling yourself that you got lucky to have good kids or you telling yourself that um, your parents' divorce was good because it taught you, you know, resilience uh, makes those things true because you say they're th that way. It actually like makes that true in your life, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I definitely have learned, I, I agree with you. I think when people say that things, when people choose to look at the silver lining, like that everything, you can just have so many good things snowball from that. If you don't choose to look at the silver lining and you decide to, yeah, for example, you know, if you're a parent and you say, yeah, my kids are rambunctious. Well, yeah, they're gonna, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and I think a lot of the quality of our relationships, even when it comes to marriage, like if, if you say that you have a wonderful marriage, you're going to live like you have a wonderful marriage, you know, and, and, and uh, that's how I like to do it. You know, I just think that's going to hold me to a higher standard or you're, 
kind of your self concepts for how your life is supposed to be. Like you're going to, you're going to start living that way. You're going to start acting that way. And I, I think in your example with parenting, when you say good things about when, when this is parenting or just life in general, when you say good things about other people, it's going to bring those things out in them. Um, and so I think we should all focus on that. Not only, I think we're just not, not only talking about how you can influence your own life, but how, when you say positive things, it can actually uplift others around, around you. So. Yeah, there's like a, I don't remember what it's called. There's a scientific explanation for that with, as far as social dynamics go, where people start to become what you see them as. So like, if you see someone and you think they're your enemy, um, when you go to a party and they're acting really nice to you, um, the first thought that comes into your head is what do they want? You know, like, you know, Chris is my enemy and I see him at a party and he's like, Hey, Reed, how you doing? How's your family? How's, you know, sales? How's this? My gut reaction is like, Oh no, he's manipulating me. Right. And, uh, that affects the way that I treat him. Maybe then I'm like, yeah, thanks, Chris. Like whatever, like buzz off. I'm not going to be manipulated by you. So the next time he sees you, he's like, Oh, I guess Reed isn't my friend. Maybe he really was just being nice, but that's like an exact uh, example of how the way that you see people, what you believe they are, literally affects what they become. Someone you like when they're mean to you and you believe in your head, well, this person is wonderful and they're great and they're always kind and cheery and they have my best interests at heart. And then when they act mean to you, you usually say, oh, they're having a bad day, you know? whatever you see is the truth. I mean, you give people enough benefit of the doubt in your perception of them that people can be whatever you believe they are. It doesn't even really matter what they do. You know, that's why people stay in bad relationships because they're like, oh, he's such a good guy. Um, he only abuses me and yells at me because, you know, he's overcoming something rather than like, he abuses me. That's should be enough to mean he's a bad guy, you know? Yeah, that, that's an interesting take. And I think it's totally accurate. You know, if people love to be, people love to have the good scene in them. Um, I think what we see in other people is often a self-reflection, like a, a reflection of ourselves. So if I see the good in other people, I'm probably pretty confident in myself. If I don't see the good in other people, I'm lacking something within me and I have to bring others down with me. It's like the, oh, uh, it's the crabs in the pot, the pot, you know, if you have, if, if these, these crabs are all boiling, if you have a bunch of crabs in a pot and they're all boiling and then one tries to get out, they all reach down and pull it down. And so I think that negative personalities and negative people they want to bring others down with them because they lack that within themselves and this isn't talking poorly about those individuals it's just analyzing where those feelings and where those thoughts come from and so I guess where you start is within yourself you work on your self-confidence you work on your habits you work on your health your you know, all of that you work on your spirituality and then once you start with yourself you start seeing the world around you change and I, and I know some people could listen to this and say, well, that's a bunch of, you know, uh, what is, just a bunch of baloney, a bunch of like philosophical stuff. No, but it's really real. It, it is real. Happy people 
tend to lift up those around them. It's so cool. I totally agree. I think about like when I'm insecure, like if I just got an F on a test, you feel like, wow, I'm stupid. You know, you're like, man, I'm, you feel insecure about yourself, right? Like I wasn't smart enough to get an A. And you walk out and you see people like laughing in the hallway. Your brain oh is like, they're laughing at me. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and, and that's exactly what you're saying. Like how you feel about yourself affects the way that you see the world. And like, if I got an A on that test and I walk out and those people are all laughing, I think to myself, oh, they're laughing about something totally different. It has nothing to do with me. They're not trying to make fun of me. I don't even know those people, you know, but like insecurity kind of um, like masks the way you see the world. You know, like if you have a zit on your nose and you're walking down the hallway and everyone that looks at you, you're thinking, oh, they hate me. They're so mean. They think I look stupid and they're just looking at my zit. When in reality, they, they're looking the same way that they always do. You are the one that's projecting, you know? What is it? I, I looked at one of your recent podcasts that you had. It was a little while ago, but it was like, people don't really, it, I, I don't want to say this to like in a negative way. And I don't, and I remember you and your podcast, you didn't say this in a negative way either, but a lot of people aren't, they're not judging you. They're not making all these uh, conclusions about you. They don't care. We think it all up here. So, yeah. People I, I re- aren't watching. Yeah. People like, like I used to think this knocking doors too you know, like you knock doors and someone's like, screw you. Like, what are you doing on my doorstep? And they're really mean. Like, man, they hate me. They like think I'm such a loser and they don't. Uh, like get a real job and what am I doing? And then you realize those people aren't thinking about you at all. They forget yeah. in five minutes. They don't care. It's just like their reaction, what's going on in their day. Maybe they got in a fight with their spouse. Yeah. Know? whatever but like you really shouldn't take those things personal because people don't care about you (laughs) You most people don't care about you well and and i think if we're going to relate this back to door knocking um when i when i've been talking to the new guys i've been working with uh, i say as soon as you let emotion after one of those doors take over your day you're done you're done you're not going to have a good day because, and, and this even goes to guys that, who will try to get back at them. And I've done that too. Uh, there's, Same. there's, and this, and I'm not talking poorly on this, an excellent salesman. Uh, he's awesome. But I tried it one, he tried this little tactic that I heard that he had done. And I was like, I'll see how this goes. And so when you, when you knock on the door and they just start screaming at you, you just go, fine, I'll turn it off. And you just walk away. And they're like, wait, wait, what? So it's funny. But I did it one time. I'm like, man, I just feel like a jerk because I try to get back at this person. I never have done it again. But the point is, if you if you try to one up somebody, if you try to get emotional, or if you really take those things to heart, uh, it's just going to destroy you. And so, in door knocking, the key is turn the emotions off. Just go to work. If someone's mean to you, who cares? Uh, that, and I think that's a really good skill that I've taken from door knocking and I've put into real life. I'm a pretty emotional guy, but at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to work, you just have to get to work. And then over break, I can get emotional or, you know, like really, you're like, you know, watch that Hallmark movie with my wife or something like that, you know, that, but there's, there's time and a place, but definitely not on the doors. You don't want to get emotional on the doors. 
I totally agree. I am an emotional person as well. And I feel like the hard thing about emotion is that you can't like pick and choose, you know, like people say, well, if you, if you take the emotion out of your life, um, you know, like what a dull life. And I, and I guess if you were to take the emotion out of your whole life, you're right. Uh, I wish that you could say like, give me happiness, but don't give me, you know, anxiety or like, <clears throat> give me love for the people that love me, but don't give me love for the people that don't care about, like, don't give me lo unrequited love. Um, don't give me, you know, painful love. Like don't, don't let me love uh, the abusive uh, parent, because if you could do that, you could have all the good emotions. But the hard thing about emotion is if you don't feel, uh, if you don't want to feel the bad emotions, you can't feel the good emotions either, you know, like, um, and then this isn't related to door knocking because I completely agree with what you're saying with door knocking, like, and not only door knocking, but like confrontation. I think you should take all emotion out of confrontation. Even if you're mad at someone, you shouldn't like yell at them. You should think about it from a stoic, stoic perspective. Like, cause if you yell, yeah. then you lose. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean, like in your life, what happens with people is they feel such a, negative emotion about something you know like they don't feel like they're worthy or they um you know had a bad relationship or they're depressed or whatever and they're like okay i'd rather just get rid of all emotion just so i can't feel this motion emotion you know like and that's why people turn to things like substance abuse because it's a mask for emotion you know it's like i i feel so bad about my depression or my anxiety that I would rather have no emotion. I'd rather numb myself to feeling. So I'll drink away all my emotions. And then those people don't feel as much joy either. You know, like, like you were saying about the homework movies, like you need to express your emotion in good ways because not, if you're like, I'm just going to get rid of all emotion so I don't feel pain, you end up not feeling joy, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I think that that's, and while you were talking about that, it kind of made me think about, uh, w w I sometimes struggle when I do get, when I do get worked up, because it, it's, it's natural to have emotions, but when I do get worked up to just bury it, just to bowl, like just to force my way through and just keep knocking, 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 knocking. Yeah. And I realized that's really not the way, uh, if you take a second, if you breathe, if you recognize, okay, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling, uh, I, I'm feeling a little under the weather, whatever it is, if you just give yourself permission to feel that emotion for maybe, you know, I'll set a timer on my phone for two minutes and I'm just going to feel it with no, you know, no counter arguments with it, just feel it. And then when the timer's up, I'm done, I'm done. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to go back. Now, when you were talking about like masking emotions, I think most of the times, like if I were to ever get in an argument with my wife, it's, it's just because I'm feeling insecure about myself. Uh, and I think, I think we all are, I think human beings are the same way. When we're arguing with somebody else, a lot of times we're, it's, we're trying to fill a void within ourselves. And I've just seen that. I try to, I try to be conscious of what's going on up here. And so when I start getting anxious, it's just because maybe I haven't cleaned, maybe I haven't done my morning routine. 
And that's if I don't do my morning routine, I'm a disaster the rest of the day because I'm so upset I didn't get off to a good start. Uh, if I don't go to the gym, if I don't do all this stuff, it, it snowballs in the rest of my day. Should it? No. But I let something like that kind of affect other parts of my relationships with other people or with my job or anything like that. So masking emotions isn't good. You have to recognize them and you have to find a, a, a healthy way to deal with them. I completely agree. I noticed, I like what you said about the morning routine. I've noticed most of the time what you're saying the emotion is about is not usually the real source. Like you were saying, it's like, if I'm fighting with my wife, if I catch myself being like really snippy, um, it usually doesn't have anything to do with my wife. It's usually like, 100%. Um, you know, like I had a bad day at work or more often than not, it has to do with like sleep and exercise. You know, like if I, if I haven't exercised in a week or like I feel bad about myself or whatever, um, everything I do has like a, a lens of a little bit more pissy, you know? Yeah. It's just like when you're breathing, when you're, your heart is beating, when you're sweating and you feel good about yourself, it's just like so much easier to just be chill, you know? I, I think our bodies were meant to be used. And so when we don't use them, I mean, you got to think of them as a machine. If you just left your car outside and you never did any oil changes, you never refueled it, uh, or you filled it with a lot of crap, which we sometimes do with the food that we eat, um, or, or, you know, we're not using it frequently. If you were just leave it out there, fill it with the incorrect uh, type of gas and then try to fire it up in a very important moment, you're going to break down. And our bodies are pretty similar with how our minds work with it. And so that's why I think a morning routine is really special. You don't have to take a cold shower, but you do need to get up, use your brain and put your phone away, read a book and go work out, go do something with your body. And I think that's something that I've struggled with. I'll get on my phone and I'll, I'll fart around on my phone in the morning. And then I just, it, you, same thing. I like how you said the lens, there's a lens that gets put over your day and it's like, Ugh. I'm big on morning routines. I think they're the key to any success, whether it be sales or within a relationship or a job, or it's just a kick. It's, it's the way to kickstart a day. Yeah. I really like what you've been doing. I've been following. Oh, if I didn't already say this happiness hacks, if you're listening, follow at happiness hacks. Um, and you can talk more about it, but it's, it's awesome. I follow it. It's uh, a lot of positivity, health, wellness, mindset stuff. It's run by Austin and, and it's great. And you can give more details on that. But um, one thing I've been seeing on your happiness hacks, Instagram page a lot is the uh, 75 heart that you've been doing. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. that kind of thing is so cool. Like you're getting out there, you're forcing yourself to callous your mind. Um, what, what is yeah, like two guidance. workouts a day or like, yeah. So the, the program is two workouts, a day, two workouts a day. They both consist of 45 minutes. One of them is outdoors. It doesn't matter if it's snowing or raining or if it's freaking cold, it has to be outdoors. And, uh, then you drink a gallon of water a day, which is just healthy for your body. It's not, crazy it's actually fairly good for you uh, you read 10 <coughs> pages of a book you take a self you take a progress photo every morning i do it every morning and then you strict you stick to a diet uh so there's no like cheat meals 
and then you, yeah, you don't have any alcohol, which has been easy for me. Um, but the point of this is like a lot of people would think of it as like a diet or like a physical fitness program. And in my mind, it's absolutely not. It's literally just a discipline program. So it's not going to, I know a lot of people have, I was looking it up online and a lot of people are like, well, it's going to change the way you think about food. No, it's just teaching you discipline. And I think it's something that discipline isn't, discipline is the key to happiness, if you ask me. And um, Jocko Willink's always, that guy's hard, pretty hardcore. I don't think he smiles a ton. He does. But I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty cheerful guy. I'm not, I'm not full-blown Jocko Willink's, but he always says just discipline is freedom. The more discipline we have, the more freedom we have. And uh, same thing with Goggins. I mean, you said callous your mind, do hard things, because what that does is increases our confidence within ourselves. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier with, if we're confident in ourselves, are we going to have any need to put other people down? Absolutely not. So the more confident you, in, you are in yourself, the better off you are. Um, but anyways, the, the 75 hard is more of just a mental toughness challenge, just improving the mental endurance. It's for 75 days straight. I'm on day six right now. And it's been great. A couple changes to my schedule. I was living a lot of it. Uh, but now it's just a strict schedule. You can't miss a day. Otherwise, you restart. So on March 21st, I'll be done with it. I think that's awesome. Uh, discipline equals freedom. So true. I love that. I love Jocko. I listened to, have you read his book? Uh, uh, Extreme, Extreme. I ha I'm, I'm in the middle of it right now. I think it's amazing. Oh, it's great. And I love that concept. Um, I think it's a misunderstood concept. It's like, I saw a meme the other day I really liked kind of along the same idea. And it was a guy with like a guitar, I think. And he said, if I go up to you and you've never played and I say, hey, you have freedom, like play whatever you want. You'd sit there and you can't play anything, right? Because you've never played. Like play two strings, like, ding, 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 ding. And it's, you're not good. Yeah. He said, um, and then he says, like, if I teach you how to play and you spend 10 minutes a day playing in six months, I hand you the guitar and you say, hey, play whatever you want. You can actually play whatever you want. Um, and he was basically the idea was um, the goal isn't just freedom for freedom's sake. In order to have freedom, you need the discipline, like you were just saying. Like you need mastery, you need discipline. Otherwise, freedom doesn't mean anything because like, you don't actually have freedom if you don't have discipline. Like I can right now go and like travel around the world and go to like China and Beijing and India and do all that. But if I don't have the financial freedom or the financial discipline to prepare for that, I can't actually do that, right? Because then I end up poor and I can't feed my family. It's just like, if you really want to do whatever you want, don't just do whatever you want. Discipline yourself so that you can do whatever you want. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, it does. I've never thought of it like that with the guitar. And I think that you know, we all, we all would love to learn a skill. We'd all would love to do all these things, but at the end of the day, you have to back it with a discipline, like you said. And if we don't, and we're not going to have it. That's why I think a lot of times, I think in, in our culture today, we struggle with people not wanting to put in work. They, they think that they just want to have these things, but you know, like you said, if you were to just blow all your money and go travel, you come back to 
nothing. I mean, you, it just doesn't work. But I, I, I think these these figures like David Goggins, Jocko Willinks, you know, all these guys that really push discipline and doing hard things. Yeah, if you learn how to do hard things in one aspect of your life, it bleeds into other. It bleeds into other aspects, and I think the reverse is true as well. If you have an extreme lack of discipline, it's going to bleed into other areas of your life. I think the easiest place to learn discipline is in physical fitness, right? That's just that's the most transferable way to to learn discipline and mental toughness. I totally agree because it's so easy to recognize you're like i go for an hour every day like i improve my strength it's it's a very uh it's very easy to see the hardest one is like relationships even though it's just as necessary it's hard to be like you can't put in reps you know you've got to create systems there in my opinion for a relationship so my my systems that i have in place and i'm and i and like, for example, if I, if I sleep in, I miss my system to take care of my wife, but my system to like spend time with my wife is wake up. I do my workouts. I get all of my stuff done so that I'm better prepared to give my wife my full self. I go to the gym and I read my book and all that stuff. I come back home and then she gets a five minute foot massage and she get, and then well, after that foot massage is over, I prep breakfast that gives her a couple minutes to kind of wake up and then breakfast is ready. So she's already woken up from the foot massage. She comes out, we have breakfast together and then we do come follow me. It's our church. I mean, it's our church's like Bible study program that we do every day and that, and, and we pray and we eat breakfast, we do that. And then I go out and sell. That is probably been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And it's just because it's given my wife and I time together every morning. And so sorry to all the husbands here in this that are saying, oh my gosh, foot massages every day. Now I didn't do it today because I just fell out of my routine, right? But five out of seven days of the week, four out of seven days of the week on the off season when I'm not selling, that, that's just like, that's just the system I have in place. And so um, that's just something I, and this is something I want to go off onto as well. I was meaning to write a blog about this, but I honestly think that checklists show that we love others. And so if, I don't know if you've heard this within the churches, uh, oh, it's not a checklist. Well, actually, if you're disciplined enough to, to do the things to say, like, and I'm talking specifically religion right now. Um, if you're disciplined enough to, to kneel down and pray to God, flip out your scriptures and read them every day, then it shows God that you're willing to put away that time to, to, develop a relationship with him and i think we need to look at our relationship similarly like the way i look at in my head it's foot massage breakfast come follow me that it's literally a checklist in my head but it's how i show my love to kaya and i think the importance is the daily if it's if it's happening consistently and most of the time when i hear people say oh it's not a checklist it's because they're not doing any of it i'm sorry if that's kind of bold but it's because they're not doing any of it and uh, I just think we were made to accomplish things. We were made to do things to show our love. And so I look at that similarly with God, with my relationship with God. Like I want to do things to show I love God. I want to do things to show I love my wife or I want to do things to show I care about the people I work with. 
So an example there is like I have a system in place where I bring the office sec the office administrator a, a coffee every week. Changes on the day, but there's a system in place that shows that I care. Um, with the people that are friends, you know, maybe we shoot them a text message once a week. But I think it show uh, consistency and following a checklist is what really what really separates, I think, true love. If you disagree, let me know. But with the checklist thing, I don't know what you would say on that. No, I don't disagree at all. Uh, I actually really like the concept. Um, the way I think about it is I never thought about it in a way to show love, but it's actually a really great point because what is a checklist? A checklist is basically evidence uh, of your behavior, right? It's just you saying, um, I do this, this, and this, and this is all evidence that I love you. You know, like I massage your feet, I make you breakfast and I spend 10 minutes with you, right? It's like, and not evidence to the person, evidence yeah. to you. So like, I always like to think about this when it comes to the way you see yourself, like uh, your own internal view. You say, hey, I'm a, I'm a loving person. It's at my identity. I love my wife. Uh, I love my administration worker, right? Like I, but your identity always derives from your behavior, right? The way you see yourself, how you decide who you think you are, you observe in your life. And so if I say to myself, to use your example, um, I'm a religious person. I, I believe in God. I love God. I'm a religious person. That will kind of not sit in your mouth the right way if you don't find evidence in your behavior. It, you can say it, but you probably don't really believe it. So if you're like, hey, I'm a religious person. I love God. But then you, you look back on the last six months of your life, like, well, I'm not doing X, Y, Z, right? I'm not going to church or praying or like loving my fellow yeah. man or reading my scriptures. So the checklist is basically a way of ensuring that you are doing the behaviors that reinforce the identity that you want. And I think that that's totally a good way to do it. So if you want to see yourself as like a, <clears throat> a hard worker or an athlete, you know, things that people really want to be, look at the evidence in your life of that identity. And if you want to be an athlete and you look at your life and you don't see I, the evidence, you don't see, do I, you know, do I eat right? Do I work out right? Um, make a checklist, right? You can ch change your identity by changing your behavior. And, and I think that's interesting. You can change your identity by changing your behavior. I think they are because a lot of times we say we need to change the identity first and the behavior will change, but they do support each other. You know, if you, if you just change behavior and you don't allow your identity to change, then you'll just slip, you'll just, you'll just go right back down into the old, old identity and the old behavior. And so the key there is, okay, I need to change my behavior and my identity, but I like how you said the behavior supports the new identity. And it's this catch, it's this positive catch 22 that keeps working. Whereas uh, just there's a, there's a common pitfall that we run into typically around this time of year where it's, you know, I'm just going to change my behavior and I'm just going to go to the gym three times a week or four times a week or five times a week. I, I'm just going to lose 30 pounds, but inside I'm still, I used to weigh 250 pounds, right? I was a big dude. 
And I had to change my identity to say, I'm a healthy person. And those new behavior, those new systems I had in place supported the new identity. However, if I hadn't decided that I was going to be a healthy person, I would have never shed any of that weight because I would have done these systems. And then my, 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 I would have realized, man, I'm, I'm starting to become healthy, but in my mind, I'm not that healthy person anymore. So I'm going to go back to my old behavior. Does that make sense? Totally. I completely agree with you. Um, it's so interesting. There's actually a study that they did. I was reading about it in the book, Atomic Habits. They did a study. I was just about to talk about it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great book. And, and one thing that I don't remember the name of the study or anything, but one thing they were talking about was uh, with smokers and they would go up to two different smokers and they would ask, they would offer a cigarette to two people trying to quit smoking. And person number one, um, if they were to say, <clears throat> if they were to say, I, uh, no, thank you. I'm trying to quit versus person number two, who would say, I don't smoke. Um, person number one sees themselves as a smoker who's trying to stop smoking. And person number two no longer sees themselves as a smoker. And even if they both have smoked the exact same amount, the person who no longer sees themselves as a smoker is much more effective at quitting because they, they're now changing their identity, right? They're like, oh no, I don't smoke. Rather than like, I'm a smoker and I'm trying to force myself to not smoke. I'm trying to change the behavior without changing the identity. And you're exactly right. If you do that for too long and you try to, if you try to change your behavior and never change your identity, eventually like the guys on Biggest Loser, right? They like, they change their behavior. They lose 200 pounds. They go home and they gain it all back because they never saw themselves as the more fit person. They just changed the behavior. That's huge. I think sometimes we feel as you were talking about this, I think sometimes we feel like we're doomed to our old identity because of maybe people around us, maybe other people around us are holding us down to that. And so that's why they talk about you're the average of, you know, the five people you hang out with, right? If you're trying to quit smoking, if you're trying to sw quit drinking, or if you're trying to quit doing things that, you know, if you're in college right now, you want to get your life put together, but all your friends go out and party all night. What, what do you think the chances are of you telling them, hey, I don't do that? And they're like, no, you do do that. But this is, you know, that's who you are. Come out with us. And so there's a lot of things that we have to control. Atomic Habits talks a lot about controlling our environment. So part of that would be, hey, I've got to replace this environment. I got to get rid of this environment and surround myself with people who are going to allow me to adopt this new identity. Um, Kaya was really big in helping me learn how to start being healthy, start making healthy decisions because you know, she helped me understand, you know, you can do this, right? I was, I thought I was always big and tough. I could lift a lot of weight and I met her and she's just like putting up tons more weight than me. And she's like, you don't need to be big to lift a lot of weight. And she helped me understand that there's a new identity I could take about that I could adopt. And uh, I love it. I'm healthy. I can still lift a lot of weight, but I'm not chubby anymore. It's great. I feel I love happy. that example. That's actually like, I know that that's a literal example, but that's actually very uh, metaphorical as well. It's like, hey, I like clinging to these old identities because um, they're how you see yourself and you justify them 
uh, in ways that aren't even true. Like you just said, you're like, well, I don't want to like be smaller because then I won't be strong. But the truth is like, exactly. You can be, you can be strong anyway. Yeah. I lost, what was it? Like I, I weighed, I almost weighed 250 pounds. Kaya met me shortly after. And I would, you know, I was one of those guys like the gym. I thought I was so strong into going bench press. Um, and then I started to live my life a little bit healthier. I started to think, okay, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to walk to class. I'm not going to eat Cafe Rio every day. I'm not going to, you know, all of these things. Like I'm going to start acting like a healthy person. I, I shed all this weight off and my list started going up. Like, What's going on? I don't need to be huge to lift high amounts of weight. Now, if we're going to talk weightlifting, Kaya is the expert here. And she, you know, she doesn't special, she, she doesn't specialize in the bench press and, and all the kind of like the stuff that typical guy would think of. She's doing like the clean and jerk and the snatch and, and the very technical lifts that are the most athletic out there. But that was just an example that I, I thought I could share is uh, when I just, when it, it was so interesting, you know, my lifts went up when I started to just be healthier. I didn't have to be a big, you know, like a defensive line, offensive lineman type of dude. I could be healthy and lift weight, you know? Yeah. Shattered your belief system that you were upholding certain behaviors based on this belief system. And then it shattered it. It's so <laughs> interesting. Um, makes you wonder about yourself. You know, you're like, what beliefs do I have that aren't true that are reinforcing aspects of my identity? You know, like maybe, um, man, I can't even think of an example, but I'm sure there are examples of like, oh, I do this thing because it's good for me. Like I am uh, really obnoxious at parties because it lets people see me as uh, more confident, Mr. Alpha. So I always come in and I tease people and I'm like really mean to them. Um, when the truth, like maybe that's, in a, maybe that's a belief, maybe you're just a mean person and you tell yourself that because it's a belief, <laughs> you know, that's like reinforcing something. You're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm mean because I'm cool. So that's why I have to act like I always put people down because it may be mean, but it's also part of how cool I am. And like, no, it's just like you were saying, you can be healthier and still be strong. Like you could be cool and not be a total a-hole to everyone, you know? Yeah. It's stuff like that. That's interesting. I, uh, I wonder how many things we do. I wonder how many, how many, let's see, your pod's falling out. Um, I wonder how many actions are backed up by just false beliefs, like fake beliefs about ourselves. Yeah. I, I wonder how many things that, that we do are just backed by that. I, I guess I'll share a quick, this happened like a week ago and I, I love, to lift weights. I love to exercise. That's just like my biggest outlet, uh, just a way to just let go of my stress and everything. And for the longest time, I, I always had this curiosity about distance running and endurance sports, by the way, I love them now just because I think they're the perfect parallel to life. Um, and then I, our, our sales company Anthem had James Lawrence on a Zoom call a couple of weeks ago and I was just fired up. This guy did like, this guy did 50 marathons, uh, 50 Ironmans in 50 different days in 50 different states. Started in Hawaii, went to Alaska, worked his way through all the states. For 50 days straight, he did Ironmans. And I'm sitting here in the Zoom call thinking, I've always wanted to do a marathon. And this guy did 
50 Ironmans in a row. And so we were out in Utah and this was a week, about a week after a week or two after. And I'm just, we're just sitting there at the dinner table with some friends. I'm like, I'm going to run a freaking marathon this week. No training, nothing. And I sent a, a message out to our group and I was like, our sales group. I'm like, who's doing this thing with me? I'm going to run a marathon. And this guy was just crazy enough to do it with me. He could have left me in the dust, but he didn't. He very, very, he was very in shape. But the longest he had ran that year was six miles. Longest I had ran this year was 13.1. And it was on a vacation too, where I was getting antsy. I needed to do something. So I just ran a half marathon in Arizona. Um, but it was the same idea. And we just ran a marathon. Like we no training. We just went, we bought some gels. We just got some stuff. We just ran a marathon and it all came. It all was just like, yeah, we just, it's going to be easy. I could go more into that in a minute, but we just decided to change our belief about a marathon. How many people have you heard say, oh, I could never do that. Okay. You won't, you won't. If you think, if you can't do it, if you don't think you'll ever do it, then you won't. But I, I did it with no training. So I love that. <laughs> I saw that on your uh, happiness hacks thing. And that is like the perfect example. It's so cool. Cause like, you're exactly right. How many people say, Oh, I'm not a runner. Oh no, no, I don't do that. Oh yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. And then like, you could so easily say that about yourself and you did it, uh-huh. you know? Oh, it's easier. I think, I think at the end of the day, a lot of people like they kind of want to do it, but it's an easy way out. If they say, Oh, I'm not a runner. Now, are there people that have knee problems? Sure. Like, yes. Okay. But for the majority of like, decently fit people like it's not the marathon that's difficult if you look into like marathon training the training is what's the difficult is the difficulty is behind that is is just because you there's so many hours that you have to put into it and the discipline that goes behind it is hard you know to train consistently but running a marathon is 26.2 miles not a big deal you could like you could call uh, one of my teachers at byu called it schlogging not not a jog but just kind of like a you know, a slog. It's like barely getting yourself to keep going forward. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Most people could do it. And I think that was just proof. I didn't necessarily do it to show how high and mighty I was. I just, I did it. Cause I'm like, I just want to do it. Why, why would I not do it? If I just, if I want to do it, I'm just going to go do it. I'm not going to come up with any excuses anymore. And I woke up, you go ahead. No, no, no. I, I said, here's the challenge. Here's the real challenge. I love that. First off, let me say, that's so cool. Um, I am like getting fired up talking about, I watched all the iron cowboys. I think he's awesome. His documentary he's is amazing. Sweet. Goggins, same thing. Goggins is like, I don't like running. I hate running. That's why I do. It. I think that's awesome. But here's an interesting challenge for you. Do something that's like way outside your identity, like being in a play, you know, or like, Oh, wow. Like singing. You know, like I was thinking about this the other day because I had the same thought as you. I was like, you know, I know I never see myself as a runner. Um, I should just start running. And I did. And me and my wife did it. And I lost like 11 pounds in the last two months. Um, That's awesome. Congrats. I know. It's awesome. And I was just like, why have I been telling myself I'm not a runner my whole life? Like, what does that even mean? Not being a runner, like every human, mostly can't say every human, but like, it's just like, you just run. You know, I'm not like a yeah. <laughs> It's like walking, yeah. just like a little bit faster. Um, yeah. It's just like, you just do it, right? Like, and, uh, and so I was thinking, you know, I should like, I should push the limits of my identity. Like, I don't see myself as like, you know, this, I should go and do it. And I realized that most of the things that I was saying were things that I actually do kind of see myself as. 
I was like, I do kind of see myself, I could be, I see myself as a physical exhibitionist, but I don't see myself as a singer at all. You know, like- Isn't I'm, your family big into, into drama and theater? My siblings all are, but not me. And okay. so like, okay. I'm, I'm the one, and that, that's very true to my identity, right? I grew up thinking like, I'm not a singer. Like, oh, um, that's for my siblings. I'm like the sports guy. Like, I want to go play basketball, whatever, whatever. And so I, would, I, I find myself like digging deeper into my own identity sometimes. But like a real challenge would be like, go try and like someday surprise Kaya. I don't know if you're a singer, but just like singer, you know, learn a song on the ukulele and sing. <laughs> That'd be funny. That'd be cool. Yeah, why not? You know, it's like I, the reason why I don't is because I tell myself that's not who I am. I think one of, when you brought that up, uh, one of those things would be music for me. Like you're not just singing, but um, like piano or guitar, right? Just specifically those two. Just because I, I did clarinet and cello as a kid. I was pretty good. But I haven't taken it up again because I decided, and this is the key, like what you what you went to, is after middle school, I didn't want to be a band kid. I wanted to play sports. And so I just done just threw it all out the window and i haven't touched a musical instrument since and uh there's a lot of there's a lot of things i could still do with that absolutely you might be really really good you have no idea yeah as long as you put the work in i mean kaya and i want to have a piano in our home we think it'd be cool to teach our kids how to play piano we i mean i'd, I'd like to learn how to do it before i die so that's just gonna I'll teach you. I'll go. I'll go grab one and I'll I'll play right here on the podcast. We can go for an hour. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's so cool. Challenging yourself to just think like way outside, right? Because like a marathon was in the reach, right? It's like, oh yeah, well, I could probably do that. A marathon. Don't cut yourself short. You know, like that is way. That's awesome. That's super awesome. Well, the next thing after doing that is, is an Ironman now, obviously. It's like, okay, I did a marathon with no training. What could I do with training? And the Ironman is within the next two or three years, 100%. Like, I'm, go, I'm going to do it. I want to do it so bad. Just because I, I think, first of all, I love endurance sports now. I kind of joke with Kaya just because she's like a, she's a power athlete. And now I'm just going to go and have all these type one muscle fibers and kind of yeah. just run a bunch. Um, but the, uh, the cool thing is I like the idea of just like, okay, I, maybe Kaya and I will volunteer to be in a community play one day. I know her family did that growing up. They, they did like a, they did ballroom dancing and her family was all in this play. I'm like how cool they, they decided to branch out and just do something fun that excited them. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I love that you bring that up. And it, I guess that to our audience, we could just invite everybody, Hey, pick something that you want to do that you never thought you could do and go to go learn it. Just go learn yeah. it. Pick something that's like, like if somebody knew you in high school, they would never guess that that's what you're doing now, you know? Cause like, I feel like people have like a brand, you know? And you think of like uh, Nike as a brand and you don't see Nike in a store that looks like Tiffany's, you know, where it's like, everything is like very plush and very nice. And the people that are going there are like very rich um, and they're buying diamonds. And then afterwards they go get brunch at a super swanky place. You know, it's like, it's a specific person. And the brand brings that thought to your head. 
And people are like that too. People may think of Austin and they think of a certain list of characteristics. I'm probably saying with me, you know, like super hot, super cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and what I always like to do is think about like, what do people see you as? If there was a documentary about your life and people were predicting what was going to happen, what would they think was going to happen next? So like, let me guess. Reed is going to do some physical thing or he's going to like talk, like do some real estate thing. I don't know. Cause I am too close to myself to know, but like, what if you did something way off the radar from what people expect of you? Like someone hasn't seen you in 10 years and then they see you and you're like singing opera or you know, like really expanding, like writing a screenplay. Can you imagine? I've never even thought of that. Can you imagine doing that? That'd be, that'd be wild. I've never done that either. I don't know writing the first thing about that. Writing a book is up there. I, that's one of the things on my list. And I think it's just, I think a lot of people have convinced themselves that book writing is only for the book writers. But have you ever noticed that like writing a book is number one on the, on the bucket list too? That's up there with a lot of things, you know? Same, and a yeah. lot of people just go, yeah, well, that's just for the other people. Like if I could do, and I think a lot of times the bucket list is a dangerous thing because how many people actually do it? You know, it, it's just a list of just desires. And when, what we really need to be doing is like dividing those up. Like this year, I'm going to knock out these four uh, mm -hmm. and making a game plan for it. And uh, man, it is, it is so interesting to think that you know, the, a lot of the things, a lot of the times we hold ourselves back from doing things just because we're like, oh, other people do that. It's not my brand, just like you said. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I, and I never thought of it as like a clothing brand, but it does relate back to how we kind of hold ourselves. Brian Tracy, and, and I listen to a lot of sales audio, it all goes back to self-concept. We act in direct accordance to our self-concept. You know, we won't go outside of it. So that's why it kind of, we have to change that belief before we could go with this scenario. We really do have to change the identity before we go start taking actions. If it's going to yeah. be something crazy like that, we've got to start saying, yeah, I'm a, I'm a screenwriter. I, I, I write, I, I write, I write those. You know, you have crazy. to start believing that. Yeah. It's weird because like, I don't really believe any of those things, but why not? You know, like, I don't know. It's interesting. Like you, each person, exactly what you said, self-concept, like you, you really are limited by the boundaries that you set on yourself and you're pretty limitless in the amount of things that you can try. And you uh -huh. probably surprise yourself in the amount of things that you'd be good at. But most people figure out like, this is the version of me that gets by. This is the version of me that I'm most comfortable with. I've already tried most of these things and I'm pretty good at them. Why step out and like, try and write a book or be in a play. Those are, you know, like my right brain is so developed. Why would I try left brain things like that? That's just, that's just making me vulnerable to suck. And no one wants to suck. <laughs> yeah. at stuff, you know? I'd never heard that making me vulnerable to suck. It, hey, yeah, it's fear of failure there. Right. <laughs> yeah, and you're limitless. And, and I don't mean like everyone is good at everything, obviously not, but you can yeah. choose to suck at whatever you want to suck at. Just as long as you don't care that you suck, just go try whatever you want. You know? Yeah. Give it, give it a go. I think, uh, I think it's fun to kind of just be, 
one of, one of the things I look back on my, like up to this point in my life, like spontaneity is like the number one thing that has granted me the most like happiness and success. Like whether it was trying out for like college cheerleading or high school cheerleading, high school cheerleading, the way that went down is I'm just walking down the hallway. First of all, a little bit of background. I, I, I talk a lot about this in my blog, but I was terrible at basketball. Like, uh, and, and, and I still laugh with my friends to this day but all of middle school, I would kind of carry this ball around because I have this dream to play in the NBA. And uh, I got cut my seventh and eighth grade year. I had this amazing coach who would stay after school. Like he was the basketball coach, like one of my biggest, he just invested a ton of time into me in middle school when my parents were getting divorced and, you know, remarried all this stuff. Really good mentor of mine. I wrote him a letter a little while ago. First of all, if, you, if, you're, if you're listening to this and there's somebody in your life that like had a huge impact on you when you were that young, write him a letter you'll be amazed by how happy it makes them feel to know they made a difference. I think teachers, all of our teachers, we spent so much time with them without okay. getting too, without getting too far off the rabbit trail. But um, anyway, so I worked really hard, had a ton of grit, I keep working, carried my basketball around everywhere, went to basketball camps during the summer. And then I finally made it my freshman year. And uh, I had a good experience there, you know, played freshman basketball, but then I tried out again my sophomore year and made JV. However, me and a couple of other guys, we only got put in unless we were up by like 30 points. And it was, it was just 30 points. Like if it was 25 points, we didn't get put in. But as soon as we got up by 30 points, it was like, all right, send the bench formers in. And it was all of us coming off. We all had like red marks on our knees from sitting like this. My dad called it, <laughs> my dad called it bench disease. And, you know, the, the red marks on your knees just from like, okay, let's watch that game. All right. So terrible at that and then there was a there was a specific game where we got in there was like 10 minutes left and we almost blew a 30 point lead um so you know and the coach is screaming like get the hell out of here you know he was he was mad and there was there were times when i'd get the ball at the top of the key and the coach would yell from the sideline like oh Austin, pass the damn ball just screaming at me and uh you know, if I ever made a shot in basketball, people just lost their minds. You know, like I made a three-pointer in the away game and, you know, all the parents, the, you know, all Austin's in the game. I made a three-pointer. Everybody lost their minds. And we're, we're up by 30 at this point. Oh, man, I could go off about all these crazy, you know, these like when I was in the game for the last three minutes, you know, we were up by 31 game and I really wanted to shoot a basket. Pretty selfish move right here. But I got the ball with like, I tried to do like a buzzer beater. We're up by 30. <laughs> it was just embarrassing. Okay. But the point is, I, I, I wasn't good at basketball, and I ended up switching to wrestling. And I, while I was wrestling, I saw these guys doing flips. Like, that is so cool. Like, how do they do this? They're so athletic. I wrestled for a year. One of the, I think it was probably the best sport to do just because it, it just taught you so much ownership. Like, if you sucked at wrestling, it was your fault. You know, if you won, it was your fault. Just so much ownership and hard work. And so one of the things I liked about that is it just kind of opened my mind like, Whoa, I can wrestle. Like my first victory in wrestling, I, I beat some kid that was like 220 pounds and I weighed 180 at the time, just because I went up to the weigh-in table and there was nobody to wrestle on my weight class with a weight class above me. I'm like, just give me whoever you got. I just want to wrestle somebody. And, uh, and I know I'm going on a lot for this, so I'll get to a point. No, here. no, go for it. But, uh, 
man, that thing looked like Jaws. Like if you were to look at that match, like it was just me crawling around with this big dude on top of me, just like murdering me. Like it was bad. But there was there was one part in the match where he just got tired and I put him in a, a half Nelson and won. And I ripped my mouthpiece out and just screamed. <laughs> it was one of the coolest moments. The point where I'm trying to go with this is like wrestling taught me like, okay, I can do other things. And those guys flip in, like I kind of want to do that. And so I had a season of wrestling, coolest thing ever. And uh, I was walking down the hallway one day and I heard these girls talking about male cheerleading. Like, that's cool. They do flips. And so I walked past them and then I thought about it. I'm like, that sounds cool. And I turned around and I walked back to them. I said, what's going on? They talked to me. They brought me to like an open gym that night. They told me how to like shoulder press a girl. And then I was digging it. I was like, this is so cool. And I showed up to my dad in his office that night and I handed him over a stack of papers. It was the next night. I stand, I handed him over a stack of papers and I said, I want to do cheerleading next year. And he just looked at me. He goes, what? <laughs> I said, yep, I want to do it. And I signed up, I tried out, I did cheerleading in high school and it was just the coolest thing. I was good at it. But had I not been willing to like change who I was, like change my idea of what I could do, I would have never turned around and walked back to those girls in the hallway. I would have just said, oh, that's not for me. But dude, how cool is it? I got to have the coolest athletic career in college because of that one day I decided to turn around, be spontaneous, and on a day's notice, sign up for cheerleading coolest thing ever. And it had the coolest reward. Um, so I think spontaneity is really important. I don't know how to tie this back in. Cause I think I got, I've been talking for so long. Uh, but, but the point is here, just gotta be spontaneous. You gotta try new things. Has some cool rewards. I seriously love that story. And you ended I mean, you're good at, it. you did it in college. Um, it's so cool. I, uh, I read this article and they study luck right? Like luck is an actual studyable thing, which I didn't know. And one thing in the article it talked about was the people that are the luckiest that things seem to just work out for are the people that um, are willing to take opportunities that are right in front of them. And a lot of people that are unlucky are the people that are so focused on a specific outcome that they end up not taking the opportunities right in front of them. And so like you look at your story as a perfect example, like how lucky you're like, wait, what you ended up doing college cheer. Like, yeah, I just like randomly tried it. And it just so happens that, you know, my, I was good at it. And then I ended up doing it in college and it, you know, helped pay for my schooling or whatever the experience. Oh, it did. It did. That's like, that's like exactly what I mean. So many people probably have that thing like right in front of their face. And they end up not doing it because they're too focused on some other random thing. Like if you're so focused on being that basketball player because you'll finally feel cool or you'll finally feel like that's who you really want to be, um, which is fine. Like you can want, you can have yeah. goals, but if you're so focused on that, that you're like, oh, cheerleading, well, I'm not even going to look at that. I'm not even going to look at wrestling. That's not me. Um, those people, there's opportunities every day that they bypass because it's not their identity and they end up just not doing stuff that they probably would have been good at. Interesting to think about. Yeah. I think, uh, and yeah, I don't want to look back on my life and be like, oh, I didn't do that. I, I could have been really good at that. Like, 
there's a, I mean, I'm sure you heard of this guy, like Ed Milet, like he always talks, his, his, his vision of heaven is he's going to show up and God's going to show him the version that he could have been. Okay. And Ed Milet, he's one of the coolest dudes. I saw him speak at at door to door con last year. And he said, when he dies, he wants to look at that guy and he wants to be that guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I love that. I just think it's so cool. Just, you know, we want to become the person that God, because we, it, it's hard because I, I, I do the happiness hacks. My last blog talks about this, but it's really hard for me to talk about happiness without tying it back to God, tying it back to Jesus, because I just think they're so, they're just, they're just one thing, right? Uh, um, but I, I think it's good to live our lives and like God, God designed us to do amazing things you know god doesn't find a lot of pleasure in us just being broke and poor and like not doing anything to our life he wants us to do things like when we are successful it gives him happiness and i'm not talking financially just anything you know when we're happy it makes him happy and so we are children of him meaning we have divine potential so we have to we have to work for that we have to like strive to do things and learn new things and yeah I, and, and that's what my latest blog was about like it's really hard for me to talk about happiness without bringing up jesus at some point just because that's how that's why i'm happy right right how did you get started in happiness hacks like for those people listening um, what is it and how did you how did you get down that road so this was this was cool thank you for asking so I have, uh, I studied exercise and wellness at, at BYU and I've always wanted to do something with that degree. However, what I found after graduating, like you can get a job as a personal trainer and you can get paid like maybe 10 bucks an hour or something like that. Like it wasn't my degree from BYU. It, I, I eventually want to get an occupational therapy. So it's, it's actually awesome. It's a good degree. But for anything right now, like out of college, like you can either go into corporate wellness, which is probably really rewarding. Um, you're working it's with people on wellness. their. So the idea behind corporate wellness is, you know, a, a lot of big corporations lose a lot of revenue through sick days, through like unmotivated employees, just through lack of health, like they're, they're coughing up a lot of money with health insurance, all of this stuff, right? And so the idea with corporate wellness is if I can get somebody in the company to work with my individual employees, motivate them to exercise, motivate them to be happy and improve their relationships, just to promote wellness, then the entire company will do better just because that's where you find a lot of your, that, that's where, that's the driving force behind the company, depending on what you're doing. So corporate wellness aims to improve the individual lives of the employees and in turn improve the business. So that's something that I think would be cool to get into down the road as well. Uh, so my degree is great, but I always wanted to do, do something with my degree. And when we moved out here to Georgia, I wasn't really finding something that really was catered towards my degree that would give us the life we wanted because I, I want, we want to buy a home in a year and me working a 10 to $12 an hour job wasn't going to cut it. Like we're not going to get a home in a year if I do that. Right. That's ultimately why I got involved in sales. However, uh, happiness hacks was born while I was listening to atomic habits. One of the coolest oh. books ever. It, yeah. And he, he talks about in that book, he talks about his blog. Do you remember that? How uh-huh. he talks about how he just was consistent with a blog and eventually it 
turned into something a lot bigger. And, you know, now he's this expert on habits. So I, I heard this and I'm like, well, I love happiness. Like if there's one thing in my life that if people were to look at me and say, what is Austin known for? It would be positivity and like being happy. And so I'm like, I want to be the expert on happiness. And so I thought I would go on walks. So we moved out here. I was unemployed, couldn't find a job. And I even have a folder over here that says operation, find a, find a job with benefits and 401k. Like, and I would go out to find jobs and, and nothing was working out. I got COVID when people started calling me back. And so we had to stay in our house. And at the time I was listening to Atomic Habits, I would go on walks around our apartment complex. Um, you know, obviously I didn't want to get people caught. I just go outside, walk around. And then I was, I was thinking one day, I'm like, man, I could, I could write a blog on happiness and things that we've done. And then wait, I could turn it into like a t-shirt thing. And I've still yet to do that just because of fear of failure, if I'm being hundred percent honest, um, turn it to t-shirts. And then I could turn it into an Instagram page and post positive stuff. And then I could interview people and it just turned into this idea and I just made it happen. And uh, I've just been consistent with it on the Instagram page ever since. But it's in, in my mind, happiness hacks is a way for me to become, to brand myself as like the happiness hacks guy. Oh yeah, that's Austin. He's the expert on happiness. You know, that's what, that's what happened with it. And it's, it's been one of the coolest things because I can have my job that provides for my family with sales, right? But then I have my, a couple things in my life that bring me a ton of fulfillment. And that's, that's, uh, I, I have a calling in our, in, in our church that I do missionary prep. Cool. That brings a ton of fulfillment. It's an hour a week. I have a cheerleading job. And during the summer, I'll do that for four hours a week and an evening. And then I have happiness hacks. So all of these, these little things just bring me a ton of fulfillment. And happiness hacks is one of the biggest things. Like that's, that's my little baby. And I just get to do that the rest of my life. I love trying, it. I, yeah. I love it. And I love, uh, I think a lot of people when they start stuff like this, the fear of failure is obviously there. Um, I love the idea of just like, well, just do it. Don't put so much pressure on it. You know, like if you like it, like keep your job. Like some people go and they quit their job and they're like, I'm going to start happiness hacks and this will pay all the bills tomorrow. And no, and, and even if you have a good idea, it's going to take some time to grow and everything. And it also takes like, an environment like like you're growing a, a seed you know you can't be like grow you stupid it you know like <laughs> yeah like you have yeah. to love a seed for it to grow and so like if it's so stressful and you quit your job like honey this blog better pay the bills by next week or else then it's, it's not gonna be no a good revenue. blog yeah it's yeah. it's not gonna be because it's not gonna just flow out of you it's not gonna be like it's not just gonna be like your baby anymore it's gonna be like, I need to make this work and that ruins it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I, and I think, uh, man, uh, well, to be honest, like if I'm, if I were to give you a yearly report on the revenue that happiness hacks has generated, it, it'd be negative right? <laughs> Like at this point. And I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I and, uh, but I know that eventually, like, as I keep producing, like one of my, one of my ideas is to create shirts that promote happiness. And I'm going to call it positive apparel. Now to be, and I told you to be hundred percent honest, the, the reason I haven't done it is just uh, paralysis by analysis. Like I haven't sat down to even plan because I'm scared like, Oh, will it even work? And that's just me being vulnerable right now. Um, I need to, I need to sit down and make a plan, right. And execute it. But I know that 
just think this is how life works. If you're consistent with something, if I'm consistent with posting daily on happiness hacks, if I'm consistent with getting people onto my Instagram live and interviewing them and, and finding out about their lives, if I'm consistent, then the numbers will come. I'll get a more bigger following. But if I only focus on the following, it will destroy the passion. And so I, I love how you said, like, if, if I were to just quit my job, all of my jobs and be like, I'm only going to write stuff about happiness hacks. Like I wouldn't even have any content. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing too, is, is I started happiness hacks. And that's one of the biggest reasons I got, I got involved in sales is because I started happiness hacks and a really good friend of mine, Jeremy Davis messaged me. He said, dude, you should post things that you do in order to be happy. And at the time I'm, I'm doing this blog about overcoming fear and following your dreams. And here I am, I just thrown in the towel to summer sales. I just quit. Uh, and it was with solar panels and out in Utah and I quit. And I was like, I can't do this. And I ended up doing DoorDash for, for the two weeks before we left. Cause I'm like, I'm going to make more money doing DoorDash. Uh, if I, you know, than if I stick it out in door to door sales before we leave. You know, we spent a couple, we spent a little bit of time with family before we left. I'm like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. Right. And so here I am here at my kitchen table working on this happiness hacks blog. And I'm so pumped about it. I'm like, dude, I have no credibility right now. I threw in the towel on my dream because I knew that door to door sales was the way that Kaya and I would have what we wanted. We have a dream to have a home. And I knew that that was an avenue that we could take that would help us get there. And I decided not to do it. And then I, this buddy of mine, I don't, and I, and I told him later, thank you for sending that to me because it helped me have some, have, have, have a moment of, of self-reflection where I decided, man, I need to confront my fear. And uh, that goes into how I decided to do Anthem Pest Control again. I called up Mitch Matthews, who was the president, is the president. And I knew him from BYU and he just connected me with it. And on a Sunday night, I talked to the team lead in Atlanta. And on a Monday morning, I showed up at the office and I went to work. It was it, such a cool experience for me that I will always hold, you know, special and honestly sacred, right? Like it gave us the chance to like have, it, it gives us a chance to just get on our feet. Like, and, and it's given me so much joy. I've loved, I've loved working for Anthem, but man, happiness hacks not only did it come out of a time that was just crappy i mean we were unemployed we had no jobs i had covid we were stuck in the house couldn't do anything we had no income and our, our savings were just getting eaten away from our apartment and then it turned into something that was like amazing and then it helped me kind of it helped me kind of st like stick to my word and it still yeah. does like when i posted that thing about the marathon a couple weeks ago i posted it three days prior and i'm like i'm doing a marathon and the morning of i'm like why what did i do you know but happiness hacks has been a way for hope to hold myself accountable as well and i like that i really like that i think that's awesome i think uh i like the content um i think it's just uh it's not just that the i like the content for the content's sake which i do but i also like really the fact that you're making content in that way you know like the like if i didn't know who you were and i just saw the content i would be like oh this is good content it's cool i'd, I'd follow it whatever but i think what people relate to with it is that like 
I don't know how to describe it. Like that, that your content could have been compiled by different people. Like most content is, you know, like, like travel blogs that a lot of people send in their content and they just repost it. And it Uh wouldn't feel as cool because I think what I like and what most people like about your content is that it's just like a reflection of an actual person's struggle. Um, One person and they can see themselves in that. So when you talk about, um, you know, like when you proposed or you talk about uh, when you quit the first time doing solar, it's like, you hear this content, you hear this advice on happiness and stuff like that. And they feel like they're like you, they relate to you. And that's what makes the content good. Not just that the ideas are good and the stories are creative, but also like, hey, this is a person that's like me and they're making content and they're pushing the boundaries of themselves and they're, you know, like trying to grow. That's what people relate to. They relate to you even more than the content. Does that make sense? That does. And I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah. Um, I think something that when I started the Instagram page, I appreciate what you said. Thank you. Um, yeah, no problem. Uh, when I started it, if you look at it from like an Instagram algorithm perspective, mm-hmm. it would be okay. Uh, one of, I called him and this is great advice still. I'm not downplaying it, but he said, take content that you've seen on other people's page, take it and put your own flip on it and then repost it or like give them credit, repost it on your page. And I, and I think that's a great way to build an Instagram following just because you, you, you find, what did he call them? You find that you, you call them unicorns. You want to find the unicorns on other pages, repost them on yours and get the same like likes on there to boost the algorithm on your page. And I, and I like that. But he's one of the things he said is like, if you build, if, if you only try to do your content, then it's going to just get on, get it going to, going to wear on you. And I think that that's a really good advice. Like for my, for my posts and stuff like that, maybe I want to pull content from other places. I want to see what's done well to build the following on Instagram. However, at the end of the day, it's, I do want it to just be relatable. So most of all of that stuff on there has just been stuff that I've thought up. And a lot of the things, like if you see a quote on there about, about persistency, chances are that week I'm struggling to be persistent. (laughs) Okay. So a lot of it's just self-reflections that I'm putting out there. That's helping me kind of stay on track. And that's how I kind of look at it as my, uh, kind of something that keeps me, helps me stay accountable, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta, I like to keep it original. I I want to, I want people to see that I'm just a normal dude. I'm just trying to do cool things, just trying to do fun things. And trying to build something out of our lives, Kaya and I's lives and like push those boundaries and push and, and achieve our goals together. Cause honestly, well, all the stuff I do is I, I want to do it for Kaya and I, um, that's like, she's the big why she's my big why is I want to work hard so that her and I can have a life that we want to have. So where do you, uh, how do you define that to yourself? You know, like I think about this all the time with my wife too, like, Hey, the life we want to have, you mentioned the house. Like what, yeah. what is that dream life? I mean, you don't have to go into all the details if you don't want to. Oh, that's a good question. What is the dream life for Kaya and I? Um, we want to have a family. Uh, we, we, I think that we'd be a killer team, that we're going to be a killer team when it comes to like raising kids. And I, I think it'd be fun to have a bunch of kids. I think it'd be fun to have a ton of kiddos. Uh, that's one of the things. I know, I know it, like fun is relative, right? Like I know it's hard work. 
Right. Uh, but for our vision for our family is to have, have a home out here in Georgia and have some kids up, have a couple kids out here in Georgia. We want to adopt a couple kids who just didn't have the opportunity. And I think that's really important to give some kids the opportunity to be within a family. Like kind of have a good little setup. We, 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 we want to raise kids with good values. And if there's ever been a kid who, uh, we, we really follow Operation Underground Railroad. I'm like, man, how cool would it be to be able to give, give a kid an opportunity at life? Because you, know, you look at something like OUR and it's like they're really they're literally rescuing kids from hell. Like it's hell, like what they go through. And like that would be so cool if we could be a part of that process to give them a new chance. And um, man, uh, that kind of covers like have a house, like just raise, like raise a family and this instill values in them and in our family too that just like hard work, helping other people and just good values where we want, we just want to make a difference. And I think it's so cool that Kaya and I are getting to work on ourselves right now and like do things that are hard so that down the road when our kids are going through our stuff, it's like, Hey, we did similar stuff. Like we want to be an example to our kids too. So I don't know. I, that's my vision of a family. I want to, I want to stick in cells for a little while just because I feel like it's, it's, it's number one, it's fun. Uh, it's, it's challenging. I think there's an endurance factor that goes behind it, which is huge. It just applies to life. Um, but you know, my future goal and as far as a career goes is to get involved in occupational therapy when money's no longer an issue. That's why I think sales gives you that opportunity down the road. I can create as much revenue as I want is if I want to work hard. And, and that's, that's like my, my vision for my career is start in sales and then decide to go do something like occupational therapy or what the heck, maybe I'd change my mind. But um, I, I love occupational therapy because I have a passion for working with kids with special needs. And that's one of those things that, man, at the cheerleading gym, if there's ever a kid that's like, that struggles with, uh, man, that's like, that has, that has autism and they're really hard to work with in the gym. Like, I'm like, here, give them to me. I'll just do an individual lesson with them. Cause that just gives me so much fulfillment. Like, I don't think there's anything more, anything that gives me more fulfillment than working with kids and, and working with kids with special needs. So if I could do, you know, down the road, when I do occupational therapy, that's literally what you do. You work with kids with special needs and you help them learn how to live. You help them live, a, um, a functional life where they can do things on their own. Um, that's one of my biggest passions in life. And I, and I discovered that while working at a, um, it was like, it was like this place here in Utah where they would just, all these kids with special needs would come. Some of them were adults and you would work with them on their goals every day and help them with behaviors. And it was so cool. Now, granted, will I ever do that again with like 25 kids in one building? No. Cause it was mayhem. Like it was, it was nuts, but I, I like the one-on-one, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm surprised I hadn't talked about OT right now. Like my mind is so zeroed in on like, okay, do sales, get, get the ball rolling and then do whatever you want on the road so that finances are no longer an issue. And I think that when you find something, it's like what you said with happiness hacks, if that was the only way that I was creating revenue for my family, it would just become stressful. But if you can do something where the where the money isn't tied up in it, can find some true passion in there. So I would encourage everybody to, yeah, if you have a job that pays the bills, like you need to do that. Like you need to work. 
However, find something that you could do on your time off that just gives you that fulfillment. You don't need to do it 40 hours a week. You can do it for four hours a week and it, it will still give you that fulfillment. That's my theory. I totally agree. Um, with occupational therapy, so what you said, you're, you're helping special needs kids. Is it like physical therapy? Like, I don't really know what occupational therapy is. Uh, that's a good question. So physical therapy, I mean, if you get in a car wreck, you're going to go to a physical therapist, they're going to give you exercises and they're going to, you know, help you get back to that, get, get back to normal. Mm-hmm. An occupational therapist would step in and they're going to like go to your house and help you learn how to drive your car again, help you learn how to like get out of bed and do all this stuff. So it's really hands-on you're working with people, but you're, you're, the physical therapist is going to help them regain range of motion and strength. The occupational therapist is the application side where you're like, okay, let's figure out how to live your life again. Mm -hmm. And you have OTs for older folks. You have OTs for people in injury. You have OTs OTs for people who um, have special needs and, and need to, you know, figure out behavioral issues. It, it is very, it's a very broad career. And uh, when I get into OT, I'd like to specialize in, you know, special needs. And uh, my uncle is an occupational therapist in Arizona who specializes in helping kids learn how to swallow food. You know, so these kids, they still see physical therapists to work on those muscles. But my uncle, Bill, will actually like come up with games or like things to help these kids eat. Like he'll, and he's got to be creative. He'll come up with like one of the things he told me about was like a straw and he'd draw a line on a straw and he'd help the kids learn how to suck water out of a straw. Like, okay, get the water up to this line. Okay. Now get it up to this line. And so, and he's helping them learn how to eat food. And so what he does is he's literally helping kids get off of feeding tubes. Um, incredible. And he's had a, such a rewarding job because like, if we don't really think about the ability to eat as something that's like important to live. Mm-hmm. But it, it really is. We can't eat. We can't live. And I mean, he's getting kids off of feeding tubes and he's gotten the most rewarding letters of like, hey, you literally helped our kid survive. So yeah. that's, yeah, my, I see uh, that and I'm like, man, that's fulfilling. I, I, my dad, he, so my dad got diagnosed, what, two years ago, a year and a half ago with Parkinson's. And one of the things that he has to go to, he has a physical therapist for swallowing. Um, and they like yeah. learns how to swallow. And like, if you, <laughs> if you um, like lean forward and swallow versus leaning back and swallow, it like activates a different part of the muscle. So he has reps that he does and stuff like that. And you don't think about that, you know, because you just do it naturally. That is so cool. Well, is he doing better now? Yeah. Yeah. He, he has done a lot of things. So he takes medication. He does, he did like the swallow therapy. Um, he's learned a lot of little things, you know, it's, it's interesting how much of your physical, uh, life you take for granted. Like oh, yeah. he was saying, um, he doesn't have this problem yet, but as Parkinson's develops, one thing that happens is like people fall. I think that's a pretty common Parkinson's thing. And it's just old people. They just, they think they fall, right? They're balanced and everything. And he says, uh, one of the training that, that, that he received was, I think it was taking little steps. 
something that a younger person does naturally. If you start falling, you take little steps to kind of catch yourself. An older person, for whatever reason, doesn't. They'll, that's why they fall because they don't take little steps. They'll just like take one step and then end up falling over. And so he said he like literally went and had someone coaching him on, hey, practice these little steps because this is a muscle that uh, you're going to need if you fall. And most things you just do naturally until you can't, you know, like, have you ever gotten an injury or anything like that? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, uh, not, not something super severe, but I mean, muscle fatigue, or maybe I pulled something in a workout and then you're like, Oh man, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> like an ab. Oh, I, I don't remember what happened. It wasn't that big a deal. I like strained an ab just, or maybe it was a rib. I didn't even like break anything. It's just like, I can't even remember now. It was forever ago. And I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, I use my abs for like literally everything. I don't even like notice all day long. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 it's amazing. I think I, I, that, and that kind of goes back to the general idea that we don't really appreciate something fully until it's taken away from us. We can, we can, but a lot, oftentimes we forget we forget to be grateful for those things. And then we're like, man, I really wish I had that. I mean, I know the day after my marathon, I couldn't move. I, I, the night of, I was like, oh, I feel great. This is fine. I'm a little sore. <laughs> the next morning I woke up and I'm like, I was crawling up the stairs because the only thing that worked were my arms. Um, but man, I, this kind of, I'm kind of going off topic here, but I often say like, if you're complaining about something, like maybe it's your, maybe you're in a fuss with your wife, maybe you're, upset at your kids maybe you don't like your job just for just for five minutes imagine your life without it i hear people complain about their jobs all the time okay fine take it away what's your life look like and they're like oh like yeah your life's not that bad quit complaining <laughs> like if you're complaining about something with 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 your relationship with your wife like i don't know like maybe there's a pet peeve that you have and it's like okay just take her out of your life for a minute what's your life look like quit complaining right? Like that's, that's a really easy way to think about things. Like if you take things for granted, just take it out of your life for a minute, see what your life would be like. And then maybe, maybe that way you don't have to go through the, okay, I'll take it away for you so you can be grateful for it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like to think about um, how often do I complain about things that I can't control? And if I can control them, what am I doing to control them? So it's like, if I'm complaining about the one I complain about the most is like lower back pain. I just like have okay. low back pain. And I always think to myself, you know, when I stretch, I don't have low back pain. So why is it that I ever complain? Like I should just stretch. And I'm the, obviously there's things in people's lives that they should, they can't control. Yeah. And you still feel the need to complain about them. Like I get that. Um, but at the same time, if you can't control it, you know, like if you're complaining about something in politics or whatever. Oh, like, and that's been big recently. Your governor did such and such, whatever thing. And it's like, if you yeah. can't control it, you probably shouldn't spend a ton of time complaining about it. And if you can control it, you probably shouldn't complain about it either. You should probably control it. You should probably change it, you know? I think that's been big. One of my mom's boyfriend was talking to me on the phone about happiness act when I first started it and this was before everything like the political climate just got was just boiled over uh but something he said he's like it doesn't matter who wins 
you're going to have people that are upset on either side. So what a cool idea that you have to just help people be happy. And I think, and, and I want to, I want to address this because I think it's so important recently. It's like, dude, you don't have that much control over politics. Like I list, I like to listen to some political stuff, but I'm very careful not to do it. Like during the summer sales season, I don't listen to a lick of the news. You know why? I can't do anything about it. Um, I just want to control what I can control. But um, at the end of the day, you know, with as far as politics go, it's like you go vote and that is literally where your control stops. That's, that's literally where everything stops. And then you can control your life. But dude, you go vote and you're, you're done. Like mm -hmm. there's nothing else you can do. And I think that today we've forgotten that and we just spend hours of time talking about it and hours of time stressing about it. I've seen it in people in my life. They stress about it all day. It's okay to talk about it, but there's gotta be an off switch where you're like, can I do anything about it? No, okay, let's move on. I'm gonna live my life. I, I don't know, totally I mean, you've, you've probably seen the same thing. People just stressing out of their minds about this stuff. And it's like, you can't do anything about it, move on. There's a difference between being aware and like being in the know about things and letting it run your life, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Like, I'm into politics, too. I listen to political stuff. And it starts to, to change when it's like, hey, I'm not just learning about this. It is like consuming my every thought. Um, yeah. And giving me anxiety. Like, as soon as something starts to give you unproductive anxiety, I basically always try and cut that thing out. Like, sure, there's some productive anxiety, you know, like, um, if somebody is trying to rob your house, the anxiety that you have to protect yeah. yourself or even more so like just the thought of someone robbing, robbing your house, my, that anxiety might propel you to get a security system or whatever, you know, protect yourself. Those are, those are good, but there's unproductive anxiety, which is like, oh my gosh, well, what if, you know, like what if like terrorists come into, come into Mesa, Arizona and just kill us all? It's like, well, is that really productive? Are you going to now, protect yourself more or are you just going to be a nervous wreck about it you know like if you can't change a behavior to improve the anxiety you probably shouldn't worry about it that much yeah no it's huge and i think i think we would all benefit from that um you know one if you ever listen to anybody who's going to help you with happiness and i think I think Brian Tracy talks about this a lot in sales too. Like just don't watch the news in the morning or I, I don't know what sales audiobook I was listening to, but it's like, just don't listen to the news, like cut it out of your life. Like just, and it's good to be aware, but at the same time, man, sometimes fill in your mind with that. Like I, I, I just wish that there was a, a an outlet where like, a, a, and, there, and there is the guy from the office did uh, some good news. It's just mm -hmm. all good news coolest thing ever i don't know if he's still doing it but my whole life as a kid and I'm, I'm 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 upset that he beat me to it he, you know he had a hit a bigger platform to launch it from but um this guy he and this whole my whole life growing up i'm like why isn't there a positive news station why don't we just have something that's just all good news and, and that guy did it it was so cool it was such a cool thing to have during a dark time during 2021 of uh, 2020 and uh john john krasinski something like that mm -hmm. he, he did it oh man what a cool thing but yeah, just in that, that, that made you feel good. You watch one mm -hmm. of those videos and you're like, man, the world is actually good. 
the world is a good place yeah yeah it's funny how skewed your perspective of the world is depending on what you let in like if you follow a bunch of positive uh, accounts like happiness hacks or something or yeah you start to think like oh wow things are turning around the whole world is turning around isn't it um yeah. and like if all of your friends are liberal the same thing like oh man everyone's becoming more liberal these days like, yeah not really in fact it's just kind of your little circle and it's hard to get out of that but you know it is it's the world is kind of the world the, the what we what we believe the world to be is just a product of like what we choose to look at i think mm -hmm. what we choose to surround ourselves with um i think that's cool like using social media and uh, as something it's like what, what are the accounts you follow do you follow people that are just negative all the time or do you follow people that are doing things that are positive that are encouraging and uh, anytime i see something remotely positive on my account like i just okay follow that and or anybody doing something positive with their life i'm like okay i want to get on an instagram live with this person let's pick their brain let's put that out there because we need more of it mm -hmm. and that's what happiness acts is right now is hey let's uh, get similar to what you're doing like interviewing cool people that are just like Hey, let, let's talk about cool things. Let's talk about positive things that, that make us better. I don't think you would ever do an Instagram, uh, a Zoom call and just complain the whole time. No. It, it's always to add value into people's lives. There's enough of that already happening. I don't need to do a Zoom call to, <laughs> to highlight it. Somebody else, will take, somebody else will take care of that for us. So, <laughs> um, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I could talk to you all day. I, uh, in closing, for anyone listening that wants to support you, how can they follow you? How they, can they support you? And what can we do for you? Thanks for asking. First thing I do is go follow my Instagram page, happiness.hacks with a Z. Uh, funny story behind that, the, the S was taken. So I just put a Z at the end of it. So if plan A doesn't work, just do plan Z. Um, so happiness.hacks. Then you can also click on the link in the bio to re read my weekly blog. Eventually I'll be getting positive apparel on there. So just shirts that you can wear that just spread the word without saying the word. And then, um, and as far as that goes, that's, that's, that's what we're doing right now. And then also, if you have anybody that you think would be great to interview, like connect me with them, because that's what I've been doing on my page. Anything I can do to spread positivity, then I'm all over it. So yeah, follow my Instagram page, read my blog, and then share my blog with friends and family. Awesome. Austin, I appreciate you coming on. Everyone check out Happiness Hacks. I really enjoyed this. We got to do it again. Maybe I'll have to drop into Georgia and we'll... Uh... We'll all hang out. We can watch our wives lift way more than us. And uh... yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it, Reed. Uh, getting your text message to get on here was uh, it was it was really exciting. So I, I appreciate it, and I'm really grateful for your time. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. Of course. Thanks, Austin. Okay.